Hello, Badass Nation, and welcome to the Badass in Business show, the show where we help you with your inner game and your outer game, teaching you how to own your inner badass and sharing strategies with you to badass your business, or in other words, get badassified. I'm Annette Piper, the Badass Business Chick, and your host for the Badass in Business show. We have a totally rocking show today. Ken Wentworth, also known as Mr. Biz, is today's guest. So here's a lowdown on him. Mr. Biz left a career in the top 3% of a Fortune 15 company to write not only one, but two, so far, best-selling books, but also to create a large social media following. Uh, he wants to shout out to Mr. Biz Nation. <laughs> he also has been quoted in several major publications, including Forbes, American Express, Fast Company, and Columbus CEO, among others. Finally, he hosts a globally successful radio show, Mr. Biz Radio. Welcome to the show, Mr. Biz. Hi, Annette. Thanks for having me. Uh, there's a lot of badass in there. I, I, you're kind of making me a little nervous here. That's a, that's a high bar to climb over. That's right. It is a badass in business show. And if I can't badass it, then why have this show, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I'm worthy to badass nation. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you are. So, Ken, tell us a little more about you, your life, your business, what you're passionate about. What really got you started doing what you're doing now? Uh, interesting. So, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I was in a, a Fortune 15 company, got the top 3% and got to a point where it was just, um, I felt like I could have a bigger impact. Um, Love my time there. Great career there. Um, and frankly, in hindsight, it helped me set me up to do what I do now. However, at that time, when I decided I was going to leave uh, and resign from that position, I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that there was something else that I needed to be doing had no idea. And by the way, what I do now, I didn't even know that that existed back then. So um, completely naive because I had been in the corporate world my entire career, was naive to the small business world and, and things like you know, on-demand CFO, things like that. Had no idea. Uh, went through an exercise with uh, a mentor and you know, kind of the, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of conversation. And uh, we, what we concluded was, he said, well, you need to be a CFO for like six or eight businesses. And I said, well, how the heck do you do that? Like being CFO for one business is like, you know, 60, 70 hour a week job. How the heck do you do that for six or eight? And he said, no, no, you do it on a fractional part-time basis. And he explained it to me and it made a lot of sense. Um, and so then I just sort of took the leap and uh, got my first uh, client. And the interesting part was, you know, being in the corporate world my entire career, I was so used to a very white collar world. And although I grew up in a 100% blue collar world, so I grew up in a small uh, steel town, steel mill town, you know, on my dad, my grandfather, my uncles, everyone, what the, the career path there was you went to high school, you graduated, you got a job in the mill, you worked there for 40 years and you retired with a nice pension. And so uh, I sort of bucked the trend and, and left the small town and uh, uh, went to college and all that kind of stuff. But so again, I had the blue collar background for sure. But, you know, that's what my mentor said. He said, go get a client because this is going to be very blue collar. The people you'll be dealing with, it's not no longer the white collar Harvard grads and things like that that you dealt with, you know, in the, in, at JP Morgan Chase and, and things like that. But so I got my first client 
And I, I want to say it was maybe during the second week I was driving home from my client's uh, uh, place of business. And it was just all of a sudden this aha moment, the light bulb probably went off above my head. Uh, hopefully it didn't burn my hair, you know, and, and under my truck, truck roof. But it was just that sort of epiphany moment that this, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I know it sounds kind of cheesy or whatever, but it absolutely just, it hit me. And I got home and my wife was already home and I got home and I came walking in and she, you know, kind of walked out of the kitchen and she said, how was your day? And I just stood there smiling and had my hands out. She said, what's wrong? I said, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, and I mean, I was floated on cloud nine because I, it was such an amazing feeling to know that I had found it. You know what I mean? And I didn't know, like my corporate career was great and I was very satisfied there other than the fact that, I, as I mentioned, I got to a point where I felt like I could make a bigger impact. I've got expertise, I've got skills that I could be helping more people with and making a bigger impact. And I knew it wasn't going to happen in that setting. Um, but I didn't know that this level of career fulfillment could even be attained. I thought where I was at was like the top of the mountain. Um, as far as, you know, career fulfillment, things like that. But so long, very long answer to your question, but that's sort of the journey and how I got to where, you know, what I'm doing now and everything. And uh, it's been, it's been awesome. Well, and I love that story because something similar happened to me and I call it the calling. You, you feel called to do something uh, greater than what you can do um, where you are. I worked for 21 years in the semiconductor industry and just through my own personal development, felt this call to help other people. And so I, I left that industry as in engineering, I made good money, and it was just the, the pull for that calling was so strong that uh, I, I think I would have been so unhappy staying. Yeah, and you know the thing about it, that's a great point in that, but I, I don't know if I would have realized I was unhappy. It, it probably would have taken much longer. Because now that I look back, it's funny, I had a, a recent client who tried to hire me on full time. And I, I love her. She's great. Um, I've been working with her for a long time. And uh, we have a great relationship. And she said, you know, Ken, I want to I want to make you I want to have you bring you on full time. And I said, that's not really my gig anymore. And she said, everyone has a price. I said, you're right. Everyone does. And I said, but you won't pay my price. And she said, try me. Cause I'd really love to have you full time. I said, $10 million a year. She said, okay, that's a little crazy. I said, exactly. I said 10 million because I know there's no way you would pay Cause I don't want to <laughs> do that. I don't want to do that. Um, I, I love what I'm doing. I love the impact that I'm able to have on people. Um, and, and not, you know, helping create jobs, save jobs. A lot of these businesses are, uh, mom and not, not mom and pop, but they're family owned businesses. And so a lot of the families, financial well-being is obviously tied to that business that business fails you've got you know mom and dad are working there you've got aunt Susie and uncle bob working the business you know if that business goes under it's a you know can be catastrophic for that family overall so being able to you know have that sort of impact on people is just uh, is super fulfilling for sure awesome well for most businesses uh, it can mean a lot of trial and error so uh, in the CFO world, what would you say are the top financial mistakes that most businesses make? So I've got, basically it gets, to, I've got my, what I call the three pillars of financial success and uh, cash flow. You don't have cash flow in a business, right? 
clear, clearly important there, right? Um, so cash flow is really important. And that's something that I think a lot of people think is synonymous with, um, are you making a profit or not? And it's not. You could be making a profit, but have cash flow problems. On the flip side, you could be break even and your cash flow is fine. So it's not synonymous with it. There's a difference there. And, and it's another thing that there are companies of all shapes and sizes that some, at some point or another during their, their, their development cycle of the business run into a cash flow problem. <clears throat> there were times where, believe it or not, Amazon ran into cash flow problems. This has been a while back, but because as they were growing and reinvesting in the business, their revenues slowed while they were pushing all this money back into the business. And so they got into a cash flow situ a tight situation. And this is when they were doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. But it just goes to show you that businesses of all shapes and sizes can run into those problems. Uh, the second one is budgeting. And I know when I say the B word, uh, a lot of people look at that as, uh, I think with the, uh, the word budget or having a budget gets a bad rap. And I think that the, the best analogy I use is it's similar to when I say the word diet to someone. So uh, long, long time ago, I was also a certified personal trainer. And, uh, you know, when you say the word diet to someone right away, you know, people think, oh, I got to drink water and eat salad all the time. Right. Well, that's not actually the case. I, you know, I was a competitive power lifter several years ago as well. And there were times when I was on a diet, which is just a plan. Right. I was on a diet to gain weight. So I was eating like crazy. A budget is the same thing. It's not necessarily means, oh, my gosh, you have to cut expenses and all. It could be you're in a growth phase and you're pushing money back into this, like I mentioned with Amazon. So. A budget isn't a bad word and a budget is critically important to the financial success because you can measure and monitor as you're going throughout the year to make sure you're on track to hit the goals you have for the year. And if you're not, you can quickly make adjustments. Uh, I, I had a client um, that I started working with and I started working with him in, in August of the year. And I said, well, how are you trending towards your goals for the year? And he's like, oh, you know, I think we're doing okay. And right then, I was a red flag to me. Like, if he doesn't know where he's trending, that's a problem. And guess what? He didn't have a budget. Most businesses that I work with over the last several years don't have a budget. And some of it's because people just don't even know where to start. So anyway, I, I, I could talk for hours about budgeting, of course. Um, but so that's, that's my second pillar. And the third one is pricing. Pricing ties right back into the other two. I have never worked with a business that we have not been able to improve their pricing. And when I say that, a lot of people think, Oh yeah, well you can just increase the prices. No, I don't mean that. What I mean is a lot of business owners don't understand their pricing. They're kind of using a back of the envelope, like, Oh, I think we can charge 15 bucks for that. There's not a whole, whole lot of science. There's not a lot of math behind it. And then you end up in a position where maybe you have products that you don't even realize they're unprofitable and you're selling the heck out of these things, and, but you're losing money because maybe you're using, losing, I'll make it up. You're losing $2 per unit that you sell. And you here you are, you don't even realize that, and you're pushing like crazy to sell the heck out of these things. In the meantime, you're losing money on every single unit you sell. Um, it's, I call it the silent business killer. It's you know, getting rid of unprofitable products. And again, when I talk to business owners, they go, Ken, we don't have any unprofitable business products. I won't bet you almost. Most businesses have them, they just don't realize it. And it could even be that you're bidding on services. I had a client one time that before I started working with them, he bid on a large project and he bid very aggressively on it because he wanted it and, the, and it cost him money. It was a $220,000 project, but the project cost him about almost $270,000. So I had to explain to him that if you would have turned that job down, 
your revenue would have gone down by $220,000, of course, which you think, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But your what you pocketed would have been higher by $50,000 because you lost $50,000. He said, Ken, that makes no sense. I had to get up on the whiteboard and kind of draw it out a little <laughs> bit. Because uh, it doesn't, it does sound counterintuitive. Like, wait, you could not have $220,000 in revenue and make more money? It doesn't make you know sense to a lot of people on the surface. So, but those are the three pillars that I find are most critical and that are most often um, challenge points for, for business owners. Well, and I totally agree with that. I do a lot of uh, business planning, or I call it profit planning with mm -hmm. business owners um, because it just surprises me how many don't have any kind of a business plan. And I, I don't call it budgeting, I call it financial forecasting, but it basically yeah. it's the same thing. You're, you're forecasting out where your money's going and uh, compared to what you're bringing in. So it's just a little spin on it. But, um, you know, I totally agree on that. People need to know their numbers in business. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's critically, critically important. And, um, you know, and I think once you, every business owner that I've worked with, I require them to have a budget. And I let them know that up front. When we're, before we start engagement or anything like that, I tell them, we are going to have a budget. If you're not okay with that, then I'm not your guy. Because I'm gonna, I will show you how important this is. And I'm, I'm trying to think, I don't think that there's been any business that I've worked with that when we implemented a budget, that they didn't have a record year. And it's because you're trending, you're tracking it. You know what's going on. It's not, you, you figure out in August or September, holy crap, we're $300,000 behind our revenue goal. And then you start to scramble to think, well, how can I make up that $300,000 between now and the end of the year? And you say, there's not enough time. I can't make it up. So, oh, well, I'm going to miss my goal for the year. Well, if you've got a budget and you're tracking and trending towards it every single month, you know, in February and March and April, are you ahead of time where you need to be? And then you can make adjustments. You, you can, you can know by product line, division, things like that. Are we ahead or behind and what divisions are ahead and why are they ahead? So let's implement some of those ideas into the ones that are lagging, et cetera, et cetera. It's just massively powerful. Um, and it's not like a diet. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to drink water and eat lettuce. <laughs> exactly. I think people feel limited with a budget and I don't know where that, um, that mindset around budget came from, but, uh, I find budgets very empowering because like you said, it keeps you on track. I don't spend money mindlessly in my business or in my personal life when I have a budget. I, I stay on track with what I'm doing. And if there's an, something I want to buy, um, I plan it out. Right. Yeah. And, and that way, if an opportunity presents itself, for example, and this has happened before with some of the businesses of some of my clients is if let's say it's, you know, again, August or September of the year and an opportunity presents itself, maybe there's a conference that's near you that is, is in your industry and you have an opportunity to maybe have a booth there or advertise there. Well, do we have $5,000 to spend on that? Let's check the budget, right? Do we have money? Oh my, oh my gosh, we're way ahead. We've got plenty of money. Let's get two booths and really hammer this home and really, you know, have a, have a great impact here. So it's not again, like, oh, well, we can't spend any money. It's just the opposite. If you know where you're at, you have an opportunity to reinvest some of that. If you're running ahead of budget, Hey, let's, let's spend extra money on marketing and let's really have a, a, a growth impact on, uh, you know, on our business by doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know uh, as business owners, sometimes you get stuck in a rut, you lose motivation. 
what would you say is the number one most overlooked motivational topic that people need? Um, that's a tough one because, uh, you know, as everyone knows, there's a ton of different motivational gurus out there that, you know, everyone's got their own take on it. I'll tell you one thing that worked for me very much personally in my athletic competitive career, and I still use it to this day in my business, is that I think accountability is huge. And I don't mean you don't have to go hire a coach for that, although that helps tremendously. And I know a lot of people look down their nose like, oh, I don't need a business coach. And what I point out when people say those types of things, and, and I'm not a coach myself, but I tell people, you ever heard of the guy named Michael Jordan? basketball maybe most people know who the heck he is right maybe probably the greatest basketball player of all time you know how many coaches he's had he's had a bazillion coaches right he had a shooting coach he had a defensive coach he obviously has a head coach for his team there's another guy named i don't know tiger woods mildly successful golfer you know how many coaches he has even the best need coaches so i think that's something that uh needs addressed people just think that all the time and i don't know if it's an ego thing or i don't know what it is but a stigma around it. Or I don't need a coach. I can handle it on my own. Well, I'm telling you, coaches, if you have a good coach, will have a huge impact. Maybe you can be Tiger Woods or business, right? Or, or Michael Jordan of your business. But the motivational thing for me, the accountability piece is, um, for example, in my competitive career, when I was um, getting ready for a powerlifting meet, I would have the weight that I wanted to lift at that competition. And I printed out on the three and a half by five index cards. And I would put one on the mirror in front of my um, sink. So every morning when I'm shaving, brushing my teeth, I see that number every single morning. It's etched in my brain. I would put one on my steering wheel in my truck. So anywhere I'm driving, that thing is staring me in the face every time I'm in the truck. When I was in my corporate career, I had one that was on my monitor uh, in my office. So I couldn't get away from it. I was constantly reminded throughout the day, every single day of that number. And it kept me focused on it. The other thing I did, which a lot of people aren't comfortable with is I tell everybody, if I have a goal, like in that example, if I said, I, I want to lift 500 pounds, I would tell everyone, I would tell people at work. I would tell, and I wouldn't just run, randomly rock up to someone and say, Hey, guess what? I want to do this. But if someone asked about it, I would say, Hey, yeah, by the way, my next competition is coming up and I want to be, I want to lift 500 pounds. The reason I did that was the accountability angle, because I know the next time I run into that person, more than likely, they're going to say, hey, man, how did it go? Did you, did, you, did you lift 500 pounds? And I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to have to say, I fell short. I failed. Because that's an embarrassing conversation. No one wants to have that, right? Exactly. That's one, that's one of the things that fueled me is that constant reminder. And I used to, uh, I've got one right here, as a matter of fact. I used to carry one of these around, one of these little tiny books, right? You can stick it in your pocket real easy. And I would, every single day, I would write down five things that I did that day to get me towards that next goal. And so I knew to myself that I had to write that down. And I couldn't, as I like to say, don't fake the funk. I couldn't fake the funk at the end of the day and write down BS stuff, right? I had to have measurable things that I did to get towards those goals. So those are three things that I've used in my personal life, my athletic career, and my business that are, um, have been great because again, people ask me about them. And so I know I'm going to be held accountable. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to fail. I don't want to have that embarrassing conversation. Exactly. And I, I think accountability is so huge. And as a business coach, that's what I do with a lot of my clients. A lot of people have a hard time holding themselves accountable. 
it's easy to let ourselves off the hook. Right. And so that's where um, either coaching comes in or strategies like you just shared come in to help us stay on track with our goals. I love it. Yeah, no, th those things have been great for me. And it's funny, even now, even though I'm not a coach, you know, when I have monthly review, monthly financial reviews of my clients, there are times when I give them homework, right? There are some things we need to focus on. So let's make sure that we focus on these two things. And I don't give them a lot because they're already, you know, bogged down with a lot of things running their business or everything, but I'll pick out maybe one or two things that are critical. And I have one particular business owner who, as a matter of fact, this week I was supposed to meet with. I know when he hasn't, doesn't have his homework done because he postpones the meeting. <laughs> and he literally sent me an email the morning of, we were supposed to meet at like 11, I think. And he sent me an email at like 7.30 in the morning. He's like, hey, Ken, is there any chance we can push back the meeting? You know, I said, you don't have your homework done, do you? He said, is there any chance we can push back the meeting? <laughs> like, he just, <laughs> um, and, he, and he literally told me, when we, uh, he, you know, when he's done this before, he's like, yeah, I, I don't. I know you're going to ask me about it and I don't want to let you down. Like I, I want to make sure I have my stuff done and I didn't have it done. So I don't want to have that conversation. And I said, well, I think that's good. Uh <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So you talk about your number one pillar is cash flow. What's the best way that businesses can optimize their cash flow? Oh man, that's a, that's a trick loaded question, Annette, because I, I, do you have like three hours I can talk to you about this? Um, no, there's, I mean, I literally, um, and I, this isn't a plug, but I, I literally, I was putting together cash flow tips because again, it comes up in every single business at some point or another runs into this. So, uh, when I first started out, I started putting them together and I was going to have it like as a, almost as like a pamphlet to hand out as a reference tool for my clients. Well, as I continue to add to it and add to it and add to it, next thing you know, I've got a book. I ended up, you know, I wrote my first book was How to Be a Cash Flow Pro, and it's all about all cash flow tips. Um, so, uh, gosh, there's just so many different things. But the key things overarching are make it easy for people to do business with you. Uh, and in the case of cash flow specifically, make it easy for people to pay you. So if you don't accept credit cards, and I know some people, when I say that, they go, well, everyone accepts credit cards. They don't, a third of small businesses do not accept credit cards. That's crazy. Um, and most people, that, when I talk to them, if they don't accept credit cards, they say, well, geez, you know, those fees, those fees are nothing compared to what, you know, what, one of the things I call check chasing. So if you have a local business, uh, let's say that you have, you know, you've got a cash flow problem, you've got payroll coming up, you've got people to owe you money, you make a phone call to, a business that's across town from you and you say, Hey, you know what? You guys owe us money. But when they say, you know what? We'll put the check in the mail today. And you say, Oh, hold on. Cause you need the money, right? I'll come and get, pick up the check. That's check chasing. And it, it adds up, right? You get in your car, you drive over 20 minutes, half hour to, to them. You walk in, you just don't grab the check and walk out. You have a conversation. You might be there 15, 20 minutes. You get back in your car, you drive a half hour back, right? You've now wasted almost an hour and a half, not wasted, but of time of check chasing. Whereas if you had a credit card and they said, Hey, I put the check in the mail, you can say, you know what? I can take a credit card right now. You're done in you know, 30 seconds. You're done. Transactions over with, there's no check chasing. And I know that example, people say, Oh, that doesn't happen. It happens a lot that the check chasing aspect of it. And that adds up, especially consider this. If you are a, a small business and you're the owner and you, you might be the only salesperson, right? You're the, the sole person who does all that time you're spending check chasing throughout the entire year could be spent on sales. 
And so you're missing out uh, on sales opportunities by not accepting credit cards. Um, another one that is right along the lines and ties uh, directly into it is use a corporate card with rewards. Those rewards add up. So I have a client who is a, a small uh, construction company remodeling business. And we started him uh, on you know, with a card, 2% cash back, no limit. You gotta check those things. Sometimes they have limits and things like that. But, and he spent in the first year, he spent a little over $400,000 on materials. Put them all on that card. And I'm not suggesting that you carry a balance. You're supposed to, you know, you need to pay it off every month or you kind of eliminate the benefits. Right. Um, but it, it helps you in a couple of ways. So not only rewards for it that you get, and in this case, he got $8,000, over $8,000 in rewards. And side note to that story, he used that $8,000 and he and his wife went on vacation in Hawaii. And he sent me a picture from Hawaii that's like you see in the postcard of, he's got a beer in his hand and you can see his feet in the ocean. And he's like, thanks, Mr. Biz. And I'm like, really? I'm like, can you bring me back a shirt or a seashell or something? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but more importantly, with the use of a credit card is, you can extend when you actually pay cash out for your expenses. So you put it on a credit card, the, the bill comes at, you know, your credit card invoice comes at the end of the month. And then depending on your billing cycle, you have another month or so before the payment is due. So especially in the case of if you are, have produced things, you have, you know, widget, you produce widgets, you bought the raw material for the widget, you've made it, you may have already sold it and received the money for it. You're, you haven't even paid for the, for the raw materials yet because you could extend that. It could be for 60 to 75 days before you have to actually pull cash out and pay your credit card off. Um, so that, imagine that impact that has on your cash flow that you've received money in for sales before you've even paid for the raw materials. Um, so that is another super powerful way that I think people overlook um, and don't take advantage of enough. Very cool, I like that. So what would be the, the one piece of advice that you would give uh, entrepreneurs or business owners? Um, it's hard to make one. I, I'll say two. So first of all, not everyone's cut out to be a business owner. Not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I know the word entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is kind of like a cool buzzword. Uh, it has been for a while. Um, and I think a lot of younger people are getting into it and that's kind of cool. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm sure you would agree with this, Annette, not everyone is cut out for it. Um, it, it is hard. Um, I think a lot of people have grandiose visions of, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to be a bazillionaire and it's, oh, I'm going to work 10 hours a week and I'm going to take vacations all the time. And certainly you can get to that point, um, hopefully, but man, the road to get there is not nearly as easy as a lot of people think it is or as some people portray it to be. And so you have to have the right personality, uh, I think, first of all. Um, and second of all is, and it's super cliched, but it's so true, is you just can't give up. It's the proverbial get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Um, because you are going to get knocked down. I mean, I'm not trying, I'm just being a realist. I'm not trying to be negative. I don't care how successful you are. Think about this. Think about the Bill Gates of the world, um, the Steve Jobs of the world the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. I mean, here's Oprah Winfrey, who's a billionaire. And she was told that she would never make it in TV. Right. But she didn't take that. For, she didn't take no for an answer. Bill Gates. I think the story was that when he was trying to pitch uh, uh, Microsoft uh, office, that he was told no 53 times. 
Now, what if he'd have given up after 50 times? I mean, 50 times is a lot of times to hear rejection, right? You could have easily given up after 50 times, but he kept going and he got there. Um, if Oprah Winfrey would have said, oh, you're right, I'm not good at TV, she might end up selling shoes at Payless and being miserable the rest of her life, but she kept going. It's that thing, and that ties back into the first thing I said, is not everyone's cut out for that because not everyone can take that 52 times being told no until the 53rd time you get over the hump. Um, and so that's important to be able to have that, that mindset and, and, and to keep going and to know, you know, it's funny, my wife is a nurse and she, she's completely non-business or whatever. And when I told her I was going to resign from JP Morgan Chase, and it was funny, I got to the airport and I said, um, I, ironically enough, the, in the meeting when I decided that was when my uh, boss told me that I was going to be promoted, uh, putting up for promotion to be, I was in the top 3% in the company, I was going to be up in the top 1%. But it was at that meeting, I, I was like, this, I know that I need to be doing more. And so I get to the airport and I was in New York City. And I, was, I get to LaGuardia and um, I call my wife and I said, um, I said, hey, you know, I'm gonna, Mark's going to put me up for managing director. And she said, oh, my gosh, all your hard work. This is so great. And I said, and by the way, I, I'm going to leave. And she said, oh, your plane's taken off. You got to go. I'm like, no. I said, no, I'm going to resign. She said, did you get to the airport early? Have you been drinking? Uh, <laughs> I said, no, no. And so she said, why don't you take a nap on the way home and talk about it? But once I explained it to her, you know, she, she kind of got it. But, um, and I didn't, she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And to her, that was just completely foreign. Like, how do you not know? I just knew there was something else. And I know, and this sounds kind of arrogant, I, but just confidence. I knew that I would make it work. I knew I could be successful because I will get up that 53rd, 54th, 56th time I'll keep going. And I know when I do those things, I'm successful. It takes a while sometimes, longer than I think sometimes, but I knew that I would be successful and, and, um, and, and get to where I needed to get to. Because it, how's the saying go? It's tough to beat someone who never quits, who never gives up. It's the same thing, right? Uh, right. You, you keep trying. You, you know, Thomas Edison, you know, there's all these quotes, all these cliches, right? But, you know, they, he tried a thousand times to, to create the light bulb and he, they said, why don't you give up? And he said, well, I found 999 ways it didn't work. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think that's, that is the absolute key for an entrepreneur business owner is to have that man mentality and know that you're going to face that um, because you will, again, Bill Gates faced it, Steve Jobs, I do. I'm sure you probably have, I mean, everyone does. You got to be prepared to get knocked down. It's just going to happen. You got to dust yourself off and be ready to kick some, kick some ass and be a badass the next day. Exactly. Exactly. You said it. That's, that's perfect. So you have a special offer for our listeners. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've got a, uh, I've got an online course. Um, that's a five week course. That's a, that's video as well as live, um, uh, not really coaching, but live uh, interaction with me. So, Every week, so we cover five different topics that are mostly centered around financial success. So, for example, week one is cash flow. Shocker. Um, <laughs> so on Monday, you get a 60 to 90 minute uh, professional video about cash flow. Um, I go talk through all these different aspects of it. And then on Thursday of that week, I come on and we do a live Zoom session. And I answer specific questions. I talk a little bit about the video, kind of summarize the topics that they're in. And then I take live questions. For example, someone might say, hey, Ken, I have a salon and you mentioned X, Y, and Z in the video. How can I implement that in my business? So we talk through those things. So we optimize and you get some homework, right? So you watch the, your, your homework is to watch the video and, you know, come to the, 
the, uh, the Thursday session and we talk through those things. And, um, you know, again, we've got five different topics. So it goes over five weeks. So we kind of spread it out a little bit. So it's not as daunting, um, but you still knock it out in five weeks. And uh, I mean, the results that we've been able to help people with have been just absolutely astounding. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it. And I love it because we're able to reach more people, help more people, things like that. The letters, uh, not letters, typically emails, obviously, but sometimes we get thank you letters, but that we get from people that have been through it that say, oh my gosh, like, where were you 10 years ago? You know, I could have, I could have not had those 52 rejections. I could have had only 20 of them and, you know, gotten over that hump faster. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you can go out to um, mrbizprogram.com is, is where you can find out all the information about it. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, Ken, it's been great having you on the Badass and Business Show. I really appreciate you having me on. I had a great time and I hope I was badass enough for you. You were. It was awesome. So Mr. Biz's info will be uh, and links will be in the podcast notes. Remember to share the podcast with other badass business owners. Check out my e-learning site at badassinbusinessacademy.com and join our Facebook group, the Badass and Business Mas Mastermind, Badass Business Mastermind group. Anyway, I'll put the link in the podcast <laughs> notes as well. Thanks everyone for listening. Namaste. Namaste.